Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuha. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper on uh, Tuesday, June 27th, 2023. Right. So this so has been a tumultuous weekend. Yes, this is our second take. The first take was interrupted by the guys who came to repair the roof. We've had a deluge of rain, and uh, <laughs> we were lucky enough to have a roof reparation undertaken immediately. Uh, yeah, well... You know, the reason there was a leak is because I went away, right? I don't know. <laughs> when you go away, everything falls apart. I was here. So I had a big trip this weekend. We'll go into that. But uh, the main event this weekend, I can say with confidence, was that Hazel June Borg Abuhoff arrived. She did. On Saturday, the 24th. Otherwise known as Pepper's little sister. Yes. And uh, Hazel's darn cute. Well, it's, she is. She, she is. took her own sweet time coming. A little late. But she made it. Yeah. And she's scrumptious. Yes. So, uh, and Pepper seems to like her. There's some Mm. cute pictures of Big Sister holding Baby Hazel. Yeah. Well, Baby Hazel looks almost as big as Big Sister, but uh, they'll work it out. Uh, Yeah. And you were were away this week and you were in Atlanta celebrating your mother's 98th birthday. Right. Uh, Just north of Atlanta, really. In Flowery Branch. Right. And uh, so I was down there, and uh, it was uh, quite a lot of fun. We had some excellent birthday cake provided by Lorna. It was chocolate praline with a whipped cream icing. Right. You don't seem impressed. No. Anyway, that was delicious. We had a lot, we had a lot of I know you food. made tiramisu. Everybody loves I that. I made tiramisu. Hazi's favorite. Yeah. Well, that was for my mother. My mother ate most of it. It's her favorite, too. But the birthday cake, everybody enjoyed. Yeah. So so that was uh, that was fun. And then coming home, well, not so much fun. Well, so we're still... I left, I left uh, Atlanta, or I left my mother's house at about 4 p.m. Sunday, and I got... Home. Home uh, at, to uh, Pennsylvania. Close to midnight, Monday night. Yeah. Uh, and how does one do that? So just to, let's just sketch well, the outline. You, you, you have to have storms. You have a lot of storms. We have a lot of storms. And you have to be flying out of the biggest airport in the in the universe. And that we happen to see, Atlanta. gratifying as it was, an article uh, last night saying tumultuous delays, in particular in the Atlanta airport, number one and number two, the Newark Airport. And, yeah. of course, you were flying from Atlanta to Newark. And as a result, what you were subjected to was a plane that uh, kept being delayed and kept being delayed. And oddly, uh, I mean, I certainly don't fault the airline for not flying in bad weather. But why you can't figure out you're canceling until close to midnight on Sunday night, I, I, I don't we're understand. Not gonna, we're not going to worry I about that. I just did. And, uh, and then anyway. you, you find, what? That, uh, let me finish. Flea Bag Hotel, which I'm not going to let you can describe if you like or not. And then uh, Monday becomes a big travel issue, too, because I don't know when you got to the airport. I'll call it 11 o'clock or so. And uh, the plane takes off two or three hours late. Well, we can sum it up in more storms. And and lands in Baltimore. Yeah, so the storms, to- all, the storms all started out in uh, Georgia and uh, I guess got to Newark just in time to prevent us from landing. Right. So we were diverted to Baltimore, and, then, and I took a train from Baltimore and to I, Trenton. And, and then you, you were Trenton at 11 o'clock. very kindly picked me up in Trenton. Yeah. But, um, you know, well, I'm not, I'm leaving out all the details. There were many, you know, I had multiple flights. I had 
canceled one flight, got on another flight. But the thing is, I'm not really a savvy traveler. Yeah. I will be soon. But I think if you have your stuff together, yeah. the minute these things start to happen, you uh, think ahead and you, th- you say, okay, I may need to find a hotel. Because if you're trying to find a hotel on a disastrous night like that yeah. at one in the morning, chances are all the rooms are already booked. Well, that's true, except... Okay, it, it, you need to be quick on your feet. But they, you can't, they can cancel until uh, after 11.30 at night, so I don't understand how you're supposed to get the hotel before they cancel. They keep telling you they're going to fly. They're telling you they're going to fly, and then suddenly they say, we're not. I don't know. I, I probably could have... Yeah, I probably should have said... No, uh, there's nothing you can there's, do. There's no way we can fly nothing out can at well, 11 o'clock You're going to be smarter than the airline. Uh, and, no. the, and, of course, you said the airline... Yeah, the airport was going crazy. People were screaming. But the point is, the point is, you got to be quick on your feet. Now, I was reasonably quick on rebooking for another flight the next day. Yeah. Because if I had hesitated on that, I wouldn't be able to get out till um, late the next night. Right. But I was, I, and it didn't matter anyway. Well, the funny <laughs> really thing is, the funny thing is that, so you get to Baltimore and they tell you after some disorganization, it looks like they're going to have a bus, but it's going to take a time to get a bus there to take you up to Newark. And uh, then apparently they alight on the fact that they're going to have a continuation flight the next morning. And uh, even though they don't give you hotel advice. And uh, then we find out today they canceled that flight this morning. So you were smart to get the train and skip all that. But you didn't describe the scene in the airport during the, the madness. It was madness, and because planes were not going out, people were really piling up yeah. at all the gates, and there were fights breaking out. Yeah, you know, nothing really violent, but uh, there were some marital spats. Mm-hmm. There were some uh, discussions between um, the clerks, the airline clerks, and uh, the patrons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was quite a lot of life, and the one thing. <clears throat> The other thing that uh, slipped by me was I forgot to eat. Yeah, well. So because I was so intent on my waiting yeah. and being ready to get on the plane when they called the gate, I should also mention that the monitors at the gate were not working and the loudspeaker system was not working. <laughs> oh, God. So you had some yeah. poor woman like standing on a stool screaming at this enormous crowd. Yeah. And and of course, in that situation, everybody is saying what what what, and nobody hears anything. That's so, but I forgot to eat, and then by the time the flight was canceled, and I realized I hadn't eaten dinner, everything everything was closed. Was closed. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it was it was complete and utter madness. Yeah. And um, but uh, so you know, I've read about this stuff now. I have. Uh, survived it and i i think i have some new mm-hmm. tools good in my some new weapons in my arsenal for uh, dealing with the uh, travel crises like okay. that um so uh so it was a, a big exciting weekend i also did some excellent lake swimming mm-hmm. um because my brother lives uh on lake lanier so i was out there with the wildlife mm-hmm. as usual and uh, it was a uh, all in all a good trip. All right. So uh, before you uh, 
left for Atlanta. The night before. The this, night be- this happens to us all the time. There's nothing this wrong is so with going stupid. Doing it. No, we no, went to a play no. the night before. We go to the theater the night before. Yeah. We, we get home at 1 or 2 in the morning, and then it's it's impossible to get up and pull yourself together to go travel. Oh, it's just, I hate it. I, th- I think it worked out fine. In any event, so we went on Wednesday evening to see The Light in the Piazza, which was being presented by the Encores, as part of the Encore series at City Center. Again, they just do a quick uh, weekend revival, if you will, uh, short-form revival plays that are not likely to get a full revival, and so they call it a concert uh, performance. Um, and uh, Light in the Piazza is kind of interesting. Uh, it was on Broadway in 2005, uh, starring uh, Victoria Clark and Kelly O'Hara. Victoria Clark won a Tony Award, uh, the, the musical... Uh, won the award for best score, not for best play, best score. It's, it's written by Adam Gattell and Craig Lucas. Craig Lucas wrote the book. Adam Gattell uh, wrote the uh, music and the lyrics. Um, and Adam Gattell, of course, is Richard Rogers' uh, grandson. So right. uh, there's something to that. Uh, and um, it is the... And, and Mary Rogers' son. And Mary Rogers' son. Mary Rogers, who wrote that book. Uh, what's Shy. That book? Shy. Right, but here's the funny thing. I mean, she was a lyricist, right? I don't know. You would know or better was than she I. Not? No, you read maybe the book. she wasn't. No, well, Rich, no, she did music. Of course, she did music. Let me just say this: and her father did music. Right. So you know, he does both. He does both. Yeah, okay. and, but but um, but uh, you know, it's the music that impresses it, and it's the story of. Um, well, um, it's based on. Uh, it comes from a book. Comes from a book by a woman named Elizabeth Spencer. A woman named. Yes, I'm going to come yeah. back to her. I have something to say about her. Oh, really? I do. Okay, okay. Elizabeth right. Spencer. She writes this book as sort of a novella. Uh, a sort of a novella. It's a novella. It's, okay. it's in a collection of it's short, short stories. Story. You might a call short it a short story. Okay, and and, um, and it becomes a movie, and, and, and it a becomes movie. a musical. And the story is uh, the story is of a, a woman who lives in the Midwest who um, has a daughter who uh, suffers an accident. She's kicked by a horse, and that sort of retards her development, uh, mental development. Well, she has some brain damage. Yes, she has some brain damage. Uh, this woman, uh, the, the young girl, she's now at the age of in her mid-20s. Uh, the mother takes her on a two-person trip to Italy, and uh, they're tourists, and while there, uh, the young girl, the daughter, uh, meets an Italian young man, and they become romantically involved. So the brain damage manifests itself in just uh, making her seem she quite young, quite naive. Simple is the word Simple. I would use. Simple, yeah. all right. Um, so it's not, it's not like she is not functional. No. Um, so it's a little her, bit her uh, deceptive yeah. about, you know, people interpret it different ways. Not everybody understands yeah. immediately that uh, she's compromised. In the old days, they used to say the development is somewhat retarded, and people don't like to use that word, but that's really what it is. She's, she's stunted, in a sense, in terms of her growth of her personality and intellectual capacity, but she's highly functioning Yeah. at the same time. And she's lovely. And she's, uh, yes, a very pretty young girl. So um, uh, let me stop right there. I've been talking. So what, what, what do you think of it? What do you think of the musical? Well, and, well you can tell the rest of the plot. Well, I don't have to well, tell them. So anyway, they're in, they're in Italy, yeah. and uh, of course the young girl falls in love. Right. I, I, and, yes, I, I, uh, right. and so the question is, it, you know, is that right? Is it safe? And, and they, uh, how much do you tell, you know, 
the um, young man. How much do you tell and his, his family. family? The Italian family. And, uh, you know, what's a mother to do? Right. How to deal with this? Well, uh, so what did you think of, of music? It was great. I thought it was great. I thought, I, I liked it. it was, you know, it's uh, you've noted that it seems to us not being very uh, sophisticated in music, really, mm-hmm. that it was rather sophisticated music. Yes, though it's it, described... it was very interesting and compelling music. It's, it's almost apparatic. The word I see when I do some research is neo-romantic classical music. <laughs> it's a phrase I'd never heard before. But it, call it opera light. I don't, I don't know what you'd call it. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a heavy Italian uh, bent to it because they're in Italy, and and the boy that uh, the young girl becomes romantically involved with speaks Italian and no English, and his family is very limited in English. So, as a matter of fact, a fair amount of the lyrics of the songs are in Italian, uh, which is considered highly unusual for a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that well, that said, uh, in that connection. Uh, music is beautiful. Music is right. great. And, and music is what makes it. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you can't, it's hard to really um, get into the story. Uh, I don't think the story is very well told. Uh, no, it's not. But um, it is uh, wonderfully enjoyable. Yeah. But it's not It's not deeply moving. You know, you don't come out of it uh, with your heart aching for the young lovers or anything. Well, Do you? No. Did you? No. And, okay. But, you know, and I'm very prone to do that. I'm a heartaching guy. <laughs> but, uh, no, you don't. There's something missing here. It's, it's not, uh, as I said to you at one point, uh, at halftime, as you like to call it, an intermission. Um, it's not uh, a pajama game. It's pretty serious. But on this, at the same time, it's also not uh, My Fair Lady. I mean, it, it just doesn't hang in terms of the play. Um Quite, but the music does carry you away. And this gets into a little difficult. And I will come back to Elizabeth Spencer in a second because I'm trying to figure out what went wrong in that connection. This is all in the context of saying we had a wonderful time. Yes. But, but uh, it was a wonderful production, what, what but there was, it was a little bit flat. Yeah. Well, it just didn't make sense. So, uh, yeah, and it didn't. Uh, here's the problem. Um, Elizabeth Spencer, I did a little research on her. She had a consistent theme of all her stories, apparently. And uh, her theme most often was the notion of uh, a woman who was uh, sort of positioned or trapped, you might say, in a certain role in society and her dealing with it, perhaps breaking out of the, the, the bounds that one normally encounters and carving her own way and that sort of thing. And... And that would clearly have been in this situation the mother. You know, mm-hmm. how does she dealing with her life? And she, she's, and, and, and we didn't mention all this. She's determining that she's not in love with her husband anymore. She's going to separate from her husband. Uh, and the problem is that the way this play went, it wasn't about the mother. Uh, there was no real sense of experience of what's the mother going through? Is she breaking out? Is she. You know, what is she going to do? And at the end, there's some suggestion of her having a relationship or something, and it comes from nowhere. Because the, the way the play goes, it's just about, is can the daughter manage and is that going to work out? And, 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 and clearly, there's supposed to be duality in terms of the mother's story and the daughter's story, but there is no mother's story. Well, yeah, there's no, there was no evident sexual tension between yeah. her. So, and, so something's yeah. missing. It either was... Well, but maybe it wasn't supposed to be there. I, you know, I was looking at a review or just a write-up about the movie, 
And, and what yeah, they say with there, the Yvette Mimieux and um, Olivia de Havilland. Rosano Brazzi and, and was it, the father. Yes, but it, Olivia de Havilland was so, the mother. Yeah. That's not and, a big name. Yes, uh, Rosano Brazzi, uh, you know, um, makes a pass or whatever. Yeah, and uh, Olivia de Havilland does not respond. Really? Yeah. And that's the way so that was that that was meant to be. There was supposed to be nothing between them. So yeah. I don't know if it was meant to be like a um, you know. Italian men, they always do this kind of thing, or or, or what it was, but. Uh, um, but even that would have been welcome, even because it would have come earlier in the play. There was no ill hint of that. Something was wrong. And, and let me well, go back to the movie for a second, because uh, you mentioned a Vietnam you played the young girl. The Italian boy she meets is none other than George Hamilton uh, from from <laughs> One Memphis, of my favorite Italian boys from Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> uh, so that's just funny. But here. Uh, the other, there was something else going on in this play, and again, well, there I, was something else not going on, and that is the voices were all nice, yeah, but there was no physical chemistry between anybody. Uh, I, I, you know, I between the two young lovers, yeah, I didn't think there. First was. of all, I was going to say I thought the two young lovers were were very good. I mean, and I thought they were very good. James Gish, but I, I, I Anna Zabelson. Again, my heart wasn't uh, well. Weeping for them. Okay. But Anna's <laughs> or rooting able to, for them. Let me just or say, anything. but here, here's the thing. I thought, I think that the primary dynamic is supposed to be the mo- between the mother and the daughter. I and didn't see much there either. There was nothing there. But that's a problem. See, the star of the show, look, was the young girl, Anna Zabelson, who turns out to be a freshman at Michigan. And when she's singing, it's soaring and the production is soaring. Yeah. Uh, the mother is played by Ruthie Ann Miles. And that part, for whatever reason, the writing, the performance, I don't know doesn't quite come across. And the funny thing about that is um, there's another slant to this. And the way everybody reviewed it was based in part on Ruthie Ann Miles' personal story. And as the Times says in their review, you know, there's a deeper, this is the way they put it, there's a deeper level of resonance in terms of the mother's regrets about the daughter's accident because, as everyone knows, Ruthie Ann Miles lost her five-year-old daughter when they were struck by a car uh, in 2018, two months later, uh, the baby with whom she was pregnant at the time also passed. Uh, so it, it, it's obviously a very sad story. And they're relating Ruthie Ann Miles' personal life to the performance, in a sense. And every review did that. Every review did that. Now, I, I'm, I'm not here to, 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 to get into Ruthie Ann Miles' performance. It was fine. But um, you pointed to just something very interesting to me about that. And you said to me, when Ruthie Ann Miles sees this in every review, she must hate that. I, I would think. I don't, I don't think you want to be always uh, evaluated in the light of your personal story. I think you want to be evaluated for your work. Yeah. Um, and it's a very sad story. Yeah. Uh, you really feel for her. Yeah. Uh, but I feel for her not being fully treated as an artist. Right. Um, yeah, anyway. no, I agree with you. And I agree with you entirely. Uh, so that so, was kind of an odd. But I mean, one of the main themes of the story is also that uh, she, there's this realization of the mother character that um, she's not terribly in love with her husband. Yeah. There's a there's a coolness there, and she's looking at her daughter, and at a certain point, she's probably saying, "Gee, you know, she's really in love. Why don't I let her have that?" Yes, but you you're know? but we're putting that together now. I don't think you were getting that during the performance. Look, I I, I can't help but think. Uh, you know, Vicki Clark uh, won the Tony for this, and Vicki Clark is a very vivacious personality. And I, I wonder if that managed to get to get there 
when she did it. I, I don't really know. Well, in any case, it was, uh, but it was certainly quite a seen. good production. Yeah. Oh, let me just say this. So that's only a weekend. You can't see it now. Forget it. But <laughs> but uh, there is another musical that's brand new by Adam Gattel and Craig Lucas that's at the Atlantic Theater that just began a few weeks ago. And that's Days of Wine and Roses. Uh, if you want to check their work, I mean, Cattell, I think, is kind of very interesting composer. He obviously is unconventional in some ways. Yeah. Um, and maybe we should check that out. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough story. That's, yeah, that's that, about alcohol. That's not a laugh a minute. No. That's, so. that, was a, that was a very difficult movie. Uh, okay. So, Lighten the Piazza. So, that's the story of my life. Uh, One fun feel, uh, whoa, whoa. theater trip. Yeah. And then, uh, then you go to Atlanta. You know, a, you gotta pay a for deep it. dive yes. in learning to yes. handle myself yeah. in the airport. It's called karma. That's yeah. what it's called. All right. So uh, there was an article that you pointed out to me about a restaurant. And then I said to you, we have to talk about this. And it's a restaurant in Koreatown, reviewed in the Times. Uh, and the name of it is? Akadon Sik. Yes. And I, I don't speak any Korean, obviously. So yeah. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Um, but uh, it's a little teeny place mm-hmm. on East 30th Street, and it has 13 seats, and it serves basically two things, broth and uh, some dumplings, right. basically. But mostly, and the, the mostly thing is the broth. broth. It's, yeah, it's all the broth. about yeah. the broth. And, uh, the, you know... It, for some reason, Pete Wells only gives it two stars. I guess it's nah, because he's so modest. Yeah, he only gives modest places two stars. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but uh, he goes into great rapture about uh, the broth. Yeah, and uh, he says it's it's incredibly clear. It's a pork broth, but it doesn't taste of pork. He really says it tastes of all kinds of other things that are not in it, like beef and chicken mm-hmm. and. This, that, and the other thing. So I thought it was interesting because it reminded me of that uh, Japanese uh, TV series we were watching for a while called Midnight Diner. Right. Which was a little teeny restaurant, only open, I guess, after midnight. Right. And uh, um, so... it reminded me of this well, unique it? sort of dining experience. Right. I don't think that had a lot of uh, personality and interaction and storytelling and uh, um I don't think this is a social a situation. Oh, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? It's got, what did you say, 13 seats? Something like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, but here's the thing. First of all, Midnight Diner, the diner, they made a variety of food. This is making one dish effectively. Yeah. You can answer. No, I know it's not the same, but it's, no, but that, here, here's it's the an thing. intimate uh, I would I would love to experience. go to this place, but that's the reason I'd love to go. The idea that someone's opened the door and says, I make this. I'm going to spend all my time making this. Okay. Uh-huh. In this case, the broth. That's what I'm doing. And uh, if people want this, come here and you're going to get my broth. I love that idea. I think that's Well, genius. you can get reservations. Yeah, it's amazing they have reservations. Yeah. So we're going there. Okay. All right? All right. All right. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, Ak Dong Sik, if Ak you want to try it. Yes, so. we're definitely going to try it. So here's an article that was kind of eye-opening, if not alarming, easily the most alarming thing in the newspaper last And can week. I just say? Yeah. The broth is not $48. No, it's like it's what? It's $18. $18. $18. And I'm sure they're making a healthy profit on that. God bless them. I hope. Uh, but you still got to sell a lot of it. Yeah, but it's a quick turnover. You go down, you say, I'll have number one. You sit down, you eat number one. You're out of there in 18 minutes. Next, Boom. Next one. All right. So 
This, again, when I say this is the most alarming thing in the newspaper this week, easily you're going to say, how can that possibly be? Uh, and once you hear it, you're going to agree. That article is called Apollo 11's Quarantine Inadequate Study Says. What are they talking about? Apollo 11 was the space mission which took us to the moon for the first time. And uh, one of the things that uh, one remembers from that moon mission, and they have the photo to remind us, is that when the astronauts came back from the moon, they were quarantined uh, because there was the possibility that they had on their clothing or whatever microorganisms from this another world. body from, from, another, from world. another world, which could uh, wreak havoc in, uh, on Earth. And, you know, God knows what could have happened. So they were quarantined, and there's a picture of them smiling through glass at Richard Nixon uh, during their quarantine process, and, you know, the proper precautions were taken. Well, now it turns out um, that this was all uh, a charade. Um, here's a quote from a fellow uh, named Dr. Uh, Dagomar de Groot who said, quote, the quarantine protocol looked like a success only because it was not needed. NASA officials knew that lunar germs would pose an existential threat or could pose an existential threat and that, and that the lunar quarantine probably would not keep Earth safe if such a threat did exist. They oversold their ability to neutralize that threat anyway. Uh, and, and that's... Now, think about that. They said to themselves, you know, this could be bad, uh, but uh, we'll do something, but we probably can't contain it. Even as they told the American public, the quarantine will take care of it. And here's another quote from another doctor, uh, Jordan Bim, a historian of science, excuse me, at the University of Chicago. Quote, this ended up being an example of planetary protection security theater. Okay. And the people involved with the moon mission said, well, it's a chance. We have to take a chance, but we'll take that chance on behalf of all of humanity. And uh, that'll be good. That'll be all right. So is that you, weird or what? Yeah. Are you upset? Uh, I, I think it it's It has alarming. a happy ending. Well, it has a happy ending as it worked out. But for people to recognize on the one hand that there was this risk and recognizing it that it was sufficiently significant and obvious that they had to address it for public relations purposes, and then to tell the people in this country, if not the whole world, that they had a handle on it when they didn't have a handle on it, is alarming. You don't think that's alarming? It's alarming, but uh, are you telling me you generally expect the government situation, well, government uh, authorities to be telling the truth? Well, I don't yeah. know. Here's another quote. If lunar organisms capable of reproducing in the Earth's ocean had been present, we would have been toast said John Rummel, who served two terms as NASA's planetary protection officer. I mean, for reasons, you know, for a lot of reasons. One is that uh, they opened the vent on the aircraft as it approached the Earth's surface. Any kind of microorganism could have gotten out there. jumped out. When they got into the, you know, they got into the water right away. You recall that's the way they were often recovered. Yeah, would have contaminated the water. It was a joke. Yeah. So now they say, but next time when we go to Mars... We're going to do a really good job. We're going to be very careful. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. 
Uh, well, this is what happens 25 years later, and uh, probably more than 25 years later. I, I forget when we went, 68 or 69. I guess that's more than 25 years. Uh, now they tell us. Now we know. All right. Alarm. Yeah, I'm not sure what this next article is about. Oh, okay. Well, then uh, skim it. It's called Mastering Your Mental Images Can Make Your Day. Well, give me the example because the example okay, is the, very the, compelling. I mean, the power of images yeah. is – I think we're hep to that, right? Well – But she has a – the woman, uh, Joanna Grover, who writes this article, uh, she's a cognitive therapist, uh, gives an example of going to a play yeah. with her son, okay – her son is terribly allergic to horses. All right, they go to a play called War Horse. Remember War Horse? It was yes, a play. at Lincoln Center. There are no live horses in it, but there are horse puppets. Right. In the process, lifelike horse puppets, but they're puppets. But not super lifelike. Well, you're right. Um, but um, during the play, her son begins to have difficulty breathing. And grabs his throat, okay? He, you know, he's thinking of the last time he was near a horse, and that mental image triggered a physiological response. He anticipated an allergic reaction and therefore had one. Yeah, that's that's amazing, isn't it? Um, the psychological... She said, after we spent a few minutes discussing how the horses on the stage weren't real, his symptoms disappeared. I mean, thank God his mother's a cognitive therapist. You know, <laughs> I would have just <laughs> called the ambulance. Right. Uh, you know, what the heck's going on? Uh, so anyway, so the article goes on to say there's a new kind of therapy um, that uh, really involves utilizing, uh, well, it's called functional imagery training. And uh, it's you know, theoretically useful in many different areas, whether, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, um, getting you over traumas or um, teaching you how to improve your life, whether it's Mm -hmm. getting over addictions, et cetera, and so forth. But it is um, basically, uh, you know, it's, um, it focuses on, cognition, all right, cognitive behavioral change, but takes things a step further by using multi-sensory imagery. Okay. So that's yeah. That's the problem for me, the multi-sensory. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I understand that you visualize things and it may help you, you know, do or be or achieve yeah. What you're visualizing, it's the multi-sensory. Right. You have to think about how you know you should. All right, you should go out for a run. It will. It's health. It's the healthy choice. It's a good thing to do. But then you have to think about oh, the wind on your face, the rain on your head, well, or something. She says. Here's, first of all, I, how I, I, good I you physically will feel but, when but, you but, do but it. It's, it's, it's even beyond the notion of thinking about it because that's just all logic saying this is good for me and I will feel good. But you think about it and it triggers reactions in your body. Yeah. In other words, you have to be able to bring up or you know this visual or experience this, this multi-sensory imagery in some right. way. That's the hard part that I can't put my finger on. But the point is that once you're able to bring up this multi-sensory imagery, you don't know how you trigger that. 
but it's not an intellectual process, then everything becomes easier. That you have that multi-sensory experience, and then boom, you're out there running. She gives another example about uh, when you have your morning coffee, yeah. you're brewing your coffee, think about the things you need to do, and yeah. kind of visualize your day, and uh, soon <laughs> your body <laughs> will associate, your body and your mind will associate uh, this kind of focus with the smell of coffee. Well, I think that's probably true to some degree. I think people experience it. You can it. activate your mind to yeah, focus. Right. So I'm not, you know, there's not really a how-to thing here. Um, and, and some of it, the, the, she also had the story of a um, cliff diver who gets yeah. horribly injured right. uh, on a dive right. and can't seem to get over it. Well, it turned out on her phone was a picture of her like uh, standing really at the top of this cliff ready to go. So every time she looks at her phone, she goes into a crisis because she's remembering mm. the last terrible time she did that. Right. So she changed her phone picture. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I don't know. If, again, I don't know if that's a great example because it doesn't seem no, multi-sensory. I was looking you know? for a better example. But I don't um, know. I can see conceptually it, where it might work. But it's called FIT therapy. Yeah. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll see more about it, figure things out. You can unlock a range of benefits. Yeah. Yeah. As I and said, you become the, the, aware of the images in your head. Yeah. The idea that you can uh, have a visceral positive reaction based on imagery that sort of goes beyond just the logic that supports this is a good thing for me to do so much as you're actually experiencing the the what's going on in a positive way just by virtue of the imagery, even if there are some things that you have to trudge through. That's exciting, but uh, how but do you it's do not that? new. But I guess it's the idea that certain things trigger yeah. physiological reactions. Well, that's that's the point about the allergic. I mean, reaction. I know about the imagery thing. I, when I was uh, in labor with uh, baby Zeke, yeah, um, the one thing that helped with the uh, contractions was I had a picture yeah. of Sadie and Granger. Oh, really? And I would look at that. Mm -hmm. And it would actually make the well, pain see, I think that's diminish. The, okay, well, that's but something. But it's not multi-sensory. Well, that's it doesn't have to be multi-sensory, but that's, that's clearly akin to this. So, I mean, we know that things have a, a power like that. All right. So, finally, uh, we have one obituary fellow named Harry Markowitz, who won a Nobel Prize, an economist, uh, passed away 95 years old. And he became famous for strategy. He started developing in his uh, PhD dissertation. And I have to say that the strategy seems to me somewhat obvious in retrospect. Apparently, it was a real breakthrough at the time. And it really has to do with uh, what's called MF, MPT, Modern Portfolio Theory. And Modern Portfolio Theory really mean meaning diversifying your investments. And according right. to Diversify this... Diversify your portfolio, right? What I'm saying to myself, really, that was new news? Somebody had to discover that? This was apparently a breakthrough because the thought was... Uh, at the time, uh, uh, put all your money in, in AT and T in 1952. In Bell, you just said Mother Bell. Yeah, you said what? Well, pick the best stock and put all your money in the best yeah. stock. And he said, you, you know, your risk reward ratio would be better if you spread things out. Um, it doesn't seem remarkable to me. I mean, to prove it in a quantitative way certainly would be a challenge. Maybe that's what he's credited for. But apparently, it was an insight in 1952. You know, like all aspirants alike. They're not alike. I don't know. But uh, I don't know. So, but here's the funny thing about this. So, he, uh, he comes up with this. Again, it's his PhD dissertation. 
1952, he, he got the Nobel Prize for it in 1990, as sometimes happens. You get uh, recognized for work you did Somebody many says, years before. Oh, oh, what about that? Was that was important. Yeah. So, but when it comes time for him to uh, get his, um, do his PhD dissertation defense, uh, he's doing it in it's a very august group of economists who are evaluating him, including Milton Friedman, the great Milton Friedman, the right. ultimate economist. And at the end of the presentation, this is in the 50s, Milton Friedman says to uh, Markowitz, look, uh, he said, we can't find any mistakes in your topic, but it is extremely novel, if you can believe it. We can't, but Therefore, we cannot award you a PhD in economics for a dissertation that is not economics. At this point, Dr. Markowitz recounted, my palms began to sweat, and he was sent into a hallway where he waited for about five minutes. Finally, a panel member emerged and said, congratulations, Dr. Markowitz. <laughs> and then they ended saying, Dr. Markowitz insisted that he had not suspected Friedman's joke. Ugh. So Milton Friedman played a joke on this guy. Oh, uh, about this, his that's hilarious, Dan. You can't. Yeah. How, how do you hard. come up with this stuff? It's very hard to come up with a oh, funny boy. story about economics featuring Milton Friedman. And, uh, and you have proved that point. <laughs> I was going to about to say that's podcast gold, but apparently you're not seeing it that way. All right. Well, that's all we have. That's, yeah, we got another storm coming here. So yeah, we got to get out Let's of here get before ready. we're flooded. So until next time, this is Dan Abuhoff and Tamson Granger with Tamson and Dan read the paper. Welcome Hazel. Welcome Hazel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>